In season and out of season, generation after generation, faithful women and men turn to the Psalms as a most helpful resource for conversation with God about things that matter most. Psalms expresses both sides of the conversation of faith, both God speaking to us and us addressing God. Walter Brueggemann, Spirituality of the Psalms. The Psalms are not only poetry in themselves, they are to be the cause of poetry in those who sing them, together and individually. They are God's gifts to us so that we can be shaped as His gift to the world. Sing these songs and they will renew you from head to toe, from heart to mind. N.T. Wright, The Case for the Psalms. Pressing into God's truth makes it possible to press on. Ruth Chu Simons. The overwhelming focus of Psalms is on God, whether its compositions are praising God for past actions, past deliverances, past demonstrations of his said, past military victories, or whether they are petitioning God to deliver, to act on behalf of the poor and oppressed, to vindicate and defend them against the ungodly, to war against injustice or flesh and blood enemies. The book is relentlessly theological. Joshua T. James, Psalms for Normal People. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. David, Psalms, chapter 40, verses 1 to 3. We are diving into a new series today, starting into looking at wisdom literature. And then tonight we're going to focus in on the Psalms in particular. And so I'm excited to go there over the next six weeks as a church. But before we get into it, I wanted to spend just a couple of minutes talking about where we are in scripture in the Old Testament when we talk about wisdom literature and why it's significant. And then I also want to take a couple of minutes to talk about why we're going here at this moment with our church. Why Psalms, why wisdom literature right now, and just kind of orient ourselves there with where we actually are as a church too. So when we're talking about wisdom literature, there's actually most often five books that are called wisdom literature, sometimes more. Um, and we're actually going to just spend our time over the next six weeks looking at three of them. So this week and next week, we're going to look at Psalms. And then after that, we'll dig into Proverbs and then Ecclesiastes. So that's where we're headed. But the five books that make up wisdom literature include those three. And then often also Job and Song of Solomon are included. And so in terms of where we are in the Old Testament, we were talking about this as a teaching team and this lovely mirroring that happens in terms of what comes before these five books and what comes after. So before them is 17 books in the Old Testament that is narrative or like the story of the people of God that we know, the Israelites coming and going and all the pieces, the story of God's people. Then you have these five books in the middle, wisdom literature, and then you have 17 books on the other side side, which are the prophets and the words of God. 
So it's this beautiful setup right in the whole structure of the Old Testament about how I have the story of God's people, wisdom literature, and then the prophets spoken to God's people. Or we have the works of God, the things that he's doing with his people. We have wisdom in the middle, and then we have the words of God to his people. So that overarching view just kind of lets us sit up and pay attention to, oh, there's something here in the middle. It's this moment in the midst of the story of how God engages with his people that he really wants to be highlighted for us, like this crown jewel in the midst that we want to pay attention to and notice. So that's where we're headed, and that is really exciting. And then for our church, I've been thinking about this a lot as we're coming up to this series and why spend the time here for us right now. And also landing at a place where I feel really excited for us to get into it over the next six weeks. When we're thinking about where we are, I feel like we're in a place where there's tons of questions. Questions about stuff that has happened in the past with our church, and for sure, tons of questions about where we're headed in the future with our church right now in this season. And so in, a, in this kind of middle place where we're full of questions and we don't have a lot of certainty, to me, it feels like a great time to really soak in wisdom, to move to this central part in the story of God's people and how God works and moves and speaks and really ground ourselves there in the wisdom that God wants to give to us. And then with Psalms in particular, I also feel like it's such a beautiful moment for our church as we're going to talk about as we go through this in the Psalms, there's so many places where what is being said is really raw emotion the very real things of life being asked, being spoken, being said out loud with all kinds of feeling. And again, I feel like this is a place where we can find ourselves right now. We are feeling a lot of things in a lot of different directions. And I think it's such a beautiful invitation from God to say, come exactly as you are, exactly where you are, and I have goodness to pour out on you. I have wisdom to give you. So I'm really excited for where we're headed over the next six weeks. And of course, as we give our attention to God, our expectation is that he's going to meet us there with so much abundance. And so I would love to just pause for a minute and pray and ask God to help us give our attention in that direction. And then we'll carry into some more details about Psalms. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the way that you do speak in wisdom to us. Lord, we thank you for the gift of scripture. We thank you for all these beautiful little details that help us to notice and pay attention to the things that you're doing and saying, things that you have said and done a long time ago, God, but also things that you're saying and doing right now. And so, Lord, we really do pray that as we spend this time digging into wisdom literature, as we dig into Psalms tonight, Lord, that we will be paying attention paying attention to what you want to say to us right now, Lord, and that the things that we are learning, the things that we're talking about, that they won't be separate from the things that we're living, but that by your spirit, Lord, that you will teach us in a way that moves us to action and that draws us closer to you. We thank you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. 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 So today we are going to focus in a bit more on Psalms in particular, and then we'll get to some of those other books in the coming weeks. 
And so just a little bit of context about Psalms then within wisdom literature, what do we know about Psalms? And the first thing that I was thinking about is how we often associate Psalms with a song. And that there is in scripture, it references sometimes saying this along to music, singing it like a song. And that's kind of the connection that we make. And there's lots of times when we are singing where we have musical worship, where we're singing the lyrics and they are words taken from Psalms. But originally, scholars agree that actually this collection wasn't meant to be a hymn book. It wasn't meant to be a song book. First, it was meant to be a book of prayer. And so all the different writers, and there's lots, a lot of Psalms are written by David, but there's lots of other authors and some of them are unknown who wrote them. All these collected writings of various authors are collected together over a huge chunk of time to be a prayer book for the people of God to use. And so we sing them, but actually the invitation to us is also to pray them and to use them in that context as we relate to God as well. There are all kinds of running themes through Psalms that we will see as we get into some of them. It talks a lot about Torah and the law. And this is a fascinating thing about how Psalms is structured that I learned, that in the book of Psalms, there's other books inside of it. So you'll see that as you go through too. There's five books within Psalms, book one through five, that are made up of the different chapters. And scholars were talking about how this parallels the five books of the Torah. So the first five books in the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible, is five books of law and instruction given to God's people about how to live your daily life as you want to follow God. So all the details that are there. And then Psalms, also five books, is giving instruction to God's people about how prayer is also meant to be a daily ongoing rhythm in your life. So in the same or in a kind of parallel mirrored way that the law is saying, here's the way you live out your days. Psalms is saying, here's the way you daily engage in prayer with God, that you incorporate that into your rhythms. And it's held with this kind of mirrored value in terms of instruction for God's people. So the themes of Torah are there. The themes of the promise of the Messiah are there as it's written in the Old Testament. There's so much longing for the promised messianic king, so much longing for the savior that they're still waiting for and expecting at that time. There's also themes of lament and praise that run kind of in tandem throughout the book of Psalms, that there's room for everything, all the pieces of what they're feeling as they go along. And so we see those pieces there too. And as we move through the books, another thing that happens in the structure of Psalms is that it kind of shows us what happens when we pray. So I'll explain what I mean. So as we go through the five books, in Psalms, the ones at the beginning are much heavier in terms of lament, in terms of longing, in terms of hopelessness. A lot of them are written when the Israelites are in exile. So like their lived experience is informing how the beginning books feel. And then as we move towards the end of Psalms, the last two books move more towards feelings of hope, feelings of praise, feelings of remembering the things that God has done. And those themes 
themes are all intermixed all throughout. And if you choose one psalm in the middle, you might get little pieces of all of that. Lament and praise, longing and hope. It's all mixed in like sprinkles. But if you look at the trajectory of the whole book, you see this progression, a movement from more lament, more hopelessness towards more hope, more purpose, more certainty of who God is that moves us to praise. This is another beautiful, like overarching picture of what happens as we spend this time with God in prayer, as we embrace that rhythm and that invitation to walk with God in this way, that that is also what will happen for us in the places where we are feeling like we need to lament, like we are feeling hopeless, like the questions are dominating the uncertainty of what's going to happen next. As we spend the time in prayer, as we spend the time in God's presence, that we will be moved towards this thing that is true, that our hope is in God, that we can be sure of him, that we can praise him in the midst of these real places that we find ourselves. So it's pretty incredible. And I would encourage you as we spend the next couple of weeks here together as a church to take a look to take a look at what you see as you read through some of that trajectory to get into what is drawn out for you. And we can talk about that together too. So we're going to turn to a Psalm together. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Psalm chapter 42. We're going to start here and we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the language that we find in the Psalms and if we're comfortable there or not, um, but kind of how we engage with it and what we do with it. But we'll start by reading a few verses here together. Psalm 42, we're going to read verse 1 to 4, and then we will jump ahead and read verse 7 to 8. It says this, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night, I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of great celebration. And then jumping to verse 7, I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. Beautiful verses. And in lots of ways, these verses are a picture of the kind of poetic language and imagery that we find all the way through Psalms in various iterations. And so depending on who you are, maybe you feel super comfortable being in this type of language. Like you read the imagery, you hear the metaphor, and you, you see it, you get it, it resonates with you. It's like a place where you easily find yourself. But for some of us, different personalities, it's not that way. And my husband is definitely one of these people. <laughs> he would say, he's not, he's not sure. He's like, what is this language? The deer longs for streams of water. I have tears for food. Um, and not that he doesn't understand it, but he just doesn't resonate with it in the same way. And so depending on who you are, you might easily be here in terms of the poetry, uh, or you might not, and that's okay. But we wanted to just talk for a few minutes about why it's in this language. Why so much poetry in these prayers? Why so much imagery? Why is this the approach? Because I think it's significant. I think it's on purpose. Something about Psalms that is pretty unique in scripture as a whole book is that it is the voice of humanity. 
that is speaking as opposed to the voice of God. And sometimes the Lord says, and it's in there, but when we're looking at it up to, up against other pieces of scripture, it's not God telling the story through people. It's, it's human writers expressing what they're feeling to God. And so we have the very real raw emotion that comes along with that. And the poetry, I think, is significant in this chunk of scripture because it's giving voice to a part of ourselves that we don't always think about bringing to God in the same way. And so if poetry doesn't necessarily do it for you, maybe you can think of another circumstance where like a really good song has moved you, like just moved you, your whole body, and you couldn't even really explain it with words if you tried, or see a beautiful piece of art, or you see a beautiful scenery in front of you, like this view that you just can barely describe with words. And the experience of that moment moves us beyond our intellect and into the rest of our being, into our soul, into our body, into a place where prose, like our regular language, just almost doesn't quite cut it to explain what's happening. And this is where poetry enters and tries to give language to our whole lived experience and how we can engage God there. So I think it's gorgeous for us, and especially in a Western culture where we do a lot of our engaging with God through our heads, it's such a lovely invitation to say, look at all of the rest of yourself that can engage with God through these types of images, through this type of language, that this is a rich and deep way to engage with God and to engage with prayer. That is so lovely. So even if it's a little uncomfortable, even if it's not our most favorite place, it is a good, good place to be with God in this type of language. Walter Brueggemann is an Old Testament scholar and writer, and he writes a lot about Psalms. And one of the things that stood out to me when I was reading some of his um, work over the last couple of weeks is that he talks about Psalms as this, as an act of communion. And so what he explains is that the human writers or us, when we're using this language as prayer, we come with what we really have, uncensored, unfiltered, exactly as it really is in the, this full body, full soul experience of like, here it is. We bring this to God, we bring it into God's presence. And then what God does is he takes this fullness from us. And then what he gives back to us is still us, is still our lived experience, but it's informed by his presence with us. So Bergman talks about this exchange of we're giving like the raw, uncensored emotion, and then God returns it to us as we engage with him in prayer, saying, here I am with you. And it shifts the way that we experience those things when our attention is given to God. And so we're still living the same experiences, right? It doesn't erase them or undo them, but now we're living them in the midst of God, abiding with God, and it changes everything. And it changes everything as we do that. And Bergman even relates this image to the idea of the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, that version of communion and how we're taking in these elements into our body as a symbol of what we receive from God. 
what we receive through the death and resurrection, this giving of life, this um, restoration, this new possibility that comes. And Bruggemann's saying that in prayer of the Psalms, we are receiving in a similar way, that presence of God with us, that invitation to new life. It's so lovely, so lovely. I also really love the fact that each psalm has its own um, piece of the story. But like we talked about before, that kind of overarching view of the whole book together also helps me to remember that sometimes in one moment of bringing the fullness to God, it's not the whole picture, right? So we're living in that moment. We're feeling in that moment. We're praying to God in honesty in that moment. And it's, and it's real and it matters. And God's with us there. But it's also not the full expression of who we are or who God is. We want to see it in this bigger picture of the whole story. And Psalms reminds us of that too. When we take it as a holistic thing, one moment is, can be pretty intense. There's all kinds of pieces in Psalms where you read a few verses and like it, it hits hard with emotion. Sometimes it hits hard with really difficult things to understand, like wild images that we barely know how to hold on to. But it's one moment and it matters and it has significance, but then it's in this bigger picture of experience too. And so I think it's also a lovely promise for us as a church that as we come in whatever moment we find ourselves in right now, it's one piece and it matters and it's important and God is meeting us here. But then we also want to look at it in this wider picture of who we have known God to be and also who we know he will continue to be and how we are walking that story with him as God's people. And Psalms, yeah, shows us again that it is a good place to be there. Very good. Well, let's take a breath. And then we're going to start to flip to a few other psalms. Um, and we'll just talk for a few more minutes about some of the pieces that we get as we arrive here. Next week, Jimmy's going to teach and he's going to do a bit more of a kind of deep dive into one psalm in particular and to study. But as we move towards that, I just want to talk again about some of the things that we find as we start to read them through and as we look at that whole book together. So some of this we talked about already. It'll be recap a bit, but we'll find ourselves here. What are we finding as we look at the psalms? And the first thing is history. So history in the context of where Psalms is actually written, like we talked about, walking this story of the people of God and where they find themselves. But also there's a lot of grounding and history here of reminding us of who God is. And so let's turn to Psalm 33 as an example of that. Grounding ourselves in who God is and where we are in the story of God's people this is also going to kind of right-size us in a good way in terms of who we are as God's people, but also what he has been doing. So in Psalm 33, start reading at verse 6. It says this, The Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. He assigned the sea its boundaries and locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. Let the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. 
And so these verses in this psalm is taking us right back to creation, right? When we're talking about where we are in the story of God and who we are as the people of God, remember the God that we're talking about, the God who made the whole world, the whole earth. This is who we're engaging with. This is who we're praying to. This is whose presence is informing the way that we're experiencing. And there's also a gorgeous tie to Jesus because in the New Testament, it tells us that it's through Jesus that everything is created. And so we have God at the beginning of time. We have Jesus coming and to bring us life through everything that he does. And in the middle, we can situate ourselves knowing who we are in relation to God in that space. So history, it grounds us, it roots us. We remember who God is and we remember who we are in that place. The second thing that we can find in the Psalms that we can take from all of this is the honesty of Psalms. And so we talked about this too, right? The very real emotion coming and this exchange that happens in that. And so let's flip to Psalm 13, see some examples of this raw honesty. Psalm 13, we'll start reading at verse one. O Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord, my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. There's so many places where it's real. It's raw. It is unfiltered. It is questions to God. It's demands of God. It's in some of the places the writers are challenging God. Like, remember how you did this in the past? Can you do it again? Let's see. And it's, it's very aggressive in some moments and uncomfortable in some places, but it's so good. And I think the invitation again is for us to come in the actual real fullness of who we are, uncensored unfiltered and bring it to God. And it's really important that we remember that God is the audience who is receiving. When people are pouring out these prayers with so much honesty, with so much raw emotion, it's directed to God and God can take it. He can take it. He knows us fully. So often for me anyways, when I'm praying, when I'm engaging with God, I just want to jump ahead to the end, right? I want to jump ahead to the, I trust in your unfailing love and I sing of your goodness because it's true. And I do believe that I do get there, but I try to skip the pieces before that, that are real and raw. I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't be feeling that way because I know that this is true about who God is. So I don't, I shouldn't be engaging that way, but no. Psalms is this lovely invitation to bring that fullness of what we're really feeling. All of our hard questions that are not answered, all of our hard emotions that we would rather maybe skip over because there's a richness there as we bring those things into God's presence. And that instead of trying to jump ahead to just kind of pat ourselves on the head and say, oh, it's okay, we know that God is good. We can enter into the spaces that are hard 
ask God to meet us there, and then He will show us that He is good. And it is a whole different thing. It is a whole different thing that transforms us from the inside out and reminds us that we are walking with God in the midst of our real lives, not separate from them. The honesty is there, and it is good. And the last thing that we find um, in Psalms is hope, is hope. Over and over again, Psalms brings us back to the things that we know for sure, the things that are true no matter what, the things that we can ground ourselves in, even while we're still holding these questions that don't have answers, even while things are so uncertain and unknown, we can be sure of who God is. And like we said before, that that changes the way that we experience our lived circumstances right now. So let's turn, turn to Psalm chapter 40 for this one. Psalm chapter 40, starting at verse 1, says this. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what has happened and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. So do you see what's happening? We're in the mud. <laughs> We're in the pit. We're in the mud and mire. And when we call out to God from that very place, that very real place that we find ourselves. We call out to God, we wait patiently for him, and he finds us there. He is the one who lifts us out and puts us on steady ground. He is the one who gives us a new song to sing. As we give our attention to Jesus in these places, he moves us to hope because of who he is. He moves us to purpose, a new song on our lips. He moves us to praise because we remember who he is and the only response that can come is for us to worship him in that space. And so a beautiful promise of hope that we can pray into, that we can experience as we spend this time. We're gonna close by looking at one more Psalm together. So we're gonna turn to Psalm 118. Psalm 118 has another connection to Jesus in a couple of ways. And so this psalm is one that scholars kind of agree and think might have been a psalm that Jesus and the disciples would have been praying and or singing as they were traveling to the Mount of Olives because it was the time of Passover and this would have been one of the prayers in this prayer book that was prayed during the time of Passover. So it might have been something that they were um, reading together, saying together, reminding each other of. And then it's also one that Jesus prays from in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus quotes this psalm when he's speaking to the religious leaders and he's talking about the stone that the builder rejected. And he quotes from this psalm there too, referencing it and talking about himself, making the connection. So as a way of kind of experiencing together, practicing some of what we've been talking about, we want to pray this psalm together to close our time. And so we're going to take some verses throughout the psalm and read them as a response together. So I will start the prayer and then there's a place for you to join in and read back. And let's pray it with the 
reminder with the truth of all the things that we've been talking about in terms of what we're finding here, how we're grounding ourselves in history, how we are expressing ourselves in honesty, and how we are receiving hope as we engage in the truth of this prayer together. Let's pray. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, His love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His love endures forever. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord, and he brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. And it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done this. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Amen. 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 Amen.